Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Bella Hoodman's Curse. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Sutherland, alongside Julian Amarante. Uh, we've got a very special podcast coming to you all today. Uh, the Asian Cup just wrapped up. Uh, one of the oldest international football tournaments out there, but not a tournament that a lot of people tend to speak about. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass over to Julian really quickly here. And uh, Julian, whenever you're ready. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm doing my uh, my Maurizio Sarri impression right now uh, with my my cigarettes and uh, <laughs> or my Johan Cruyff. Um, you know, the, uh, we just wanted to say something that you know, Asian football. I think is uh, is a burgeoning market, as they would call it nowadays. And uh, I mean, it's kind of sad because they actually have a tradition of football that is very, very, very significant, and a lot of people kind of overlook it. I mean. Uh, we've talked about, like, you know, uh, the famous North Korean team of 1966, which almost ended up in the semifinals. They knocked Italy out in 66, and they almost were on the verge of knocking out uh, Eusebio's Portugal, but that was considered one of the greatest comebacks in, in football uh, World Cup history. I want to start off just by talking about the Asian Cup. Uh, it's, it's essentially uh, the AFC Asian Cup is an international association football tournament run by the Asian Football Federation. And it is the second oldest continental football championship in the world after the Copa America. Um, excuse me. Uh, the winning team uh, becomes the champion of Asia and qualifies for the FIFA Confederations Cup. Uh, it's held once every four years. Uh, it started in 1956 and it was held in Hong Kong. And uh, now, uh, you know, it's gone on. And the, the most recent one has been in, uh, what was it? Uh, you're not in our benefits, right? Yeah, well, I played uh, in actually different places. They've changed up how the tournament plays now, right? So you actually play home and away. Yeah. Um, both in the group stage and afterwards. It's interesting. So I mean, that... it, it's it's a much more interesting designed tournament than than any others out there. Yeah, and this shows, you know, like innovation, I think, is kind of important uh, at the level of fixtures. I, 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 you know, being a traditionalist, I want to kind of keep those things intact. I'd like to see those things intact. I can't keep them. I'm not in control. However, um, just to go back, since the Summer Olympic Games um, uh, and the European Football Championships were scheduled the same year as the Asian Cup, the AFC decided to move their championships to kind of a less crowded cycle. And this is why we had it like this year, kind of like almost in the middle of the European leagues. Um, after 2004, I think the tournament was held uh, and it was actually co-hosted by four nations, I believe. It was, and and it's, I got it listed here as Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, and Vietnam. Uh, that was, I believe, in 2004 and in 2007. Um, it's been held now every four years. It's generally dominated by a small number of top teams. Uh, initially, the successful teams included South Korea twice and then Iran three times. You also have uh, uh, Japan winning it since 1984 four times, Saudi Arabia three times. And, uh, you know, these have basically been the most successful teams winning seven out of the last nine. The other teams which have kind of achieved success were the current champions, which are Qatar, Australia in 2015, when they were kind of introduced into the Asian uh, out of the Oceania because there was just no competition for Australia in the Oceania division. Iraq in 2007, which was like an admirable win. You had Kuwait in 1980, and you had Israel, who was actually in the Asian Cup in 64, but later were expelled, and then they joined UEFA. 
Now, Australia, like I said, they joined the Asian Confederation in 2007. They hosted the Asian Cup Finals in 2015, where they won. The 2019 tournament, excuse me, was uh, uh, expanded from 16 to 24 teams, and there was a qualifying process, um, and they actually have doubled this and put it in for the 2018 World Cup qualification. Uh, the tournament, will, uh, like I said, was hosted by the United Arab Emirates, and then unlike other confederation tournaments, uh, the Asian Cup has often been rescheduled to uh, another time of the year, like when the climate is like is good for the host nation. Like 2007, it was played in July, but the following three tournaments have been played, like I said earlier, in January. Now, the two years after the Asian Confederation Cup came into being in 1954, it, the first one was staged in Hong Kong, and they had seven, seven of the 12 founding members taking place. The qualifying process involved the host of plus the winners of the format. It was a very, very strange format. And you had like also sub-confederations already hosting their own biennial championships. And then you kind of, you got to see this kind of dominance between the East and the West shifting. But far from the superiority of South Korea in the early years of the competition, the tournament became the preserve of Uran, who won three consecutive tournaments in 68, 72, and 76. Which is really interesting because Politically, that was when the Shah was in power, okay? Um, and then you saw kind of Iran kind of taper off after the revolution. Uh, West Asian countries ruled in the 80s. You had Ku Kuwait, uh, the first Middle Eastern country to win the championship. Then you had Saudi Arabia uh, with consecutive wins in 84 and 88. Japan hold the record. There's four, 1992, 2000, 2004, 2011. So you see their dominance. In 2007, the Asian Cup also saw Australia, as I said earlier. They reached the quarterfinal stage, but Iraq defeated them, and Iraq went on to win uh, that tournament. Uh, there was also, you know, kind of like all this kind of adverse domestic situation conditions for the players at the time in Iraq, and they were in the middle of a war, for crying out loud, uh, or an invasion, let's call it what it is. Um, then you have these changes now for the 2019, where they actually use... Uh, video assistant referees in the tournament for the first time, and they expanded to 24 teams. Uh, they actually had a fourth substitution, which is allowed during extra time. And the specific matchups involved the third-place teams, and it depended on which fourth-place teams finished in the groups for the round of 16. The biggest controversy so far was, despite being the second-oldest continental championship, the AFC Asian Cup suffered a lot of criticisms uh, chief among them was the inability for the cup to attract large audiences. There's a lot of political interference. I'll get into that in a second. High cost of traveling for the member states and different cultures were highlighted all over this cup. Now, the political interferences, the most significant was Israel. As the team uh, was a member of the AFC, but following the, the Yom Kippur War, uh, you had these tensions between Israel and the Arab AFC, and Israel was expelled uh, from the AFC in 1974, and they competed in the OFC, and then they were granted kind of a, a UEFA membership in 1990. You also had similar cases, like the case between Saudi Arabia and Iran, following the 2016 attack on diplomatic uh, missions in Iran. Saudi Arabia rejected playing with Iran and even threatened to withdraw if the AFC refused to follow and even ex uh, extended it to the international level. There's been tensions between the two Koreas. Um, that was during the 2010 World Cup qualification. 
uh, that had led uh, North Korea to withdraw from hosting the South Korean team and refusing to display the South Korean flag and play the national anthem. So all of North Korea's matches at that time were all moved to Shanghai. Well, even most recently, right? The yeah. Surrounding Qatar and uh, the UAE. Yeah, this is actually, you know, I mean, the truth be told, uh, there is a great deal of political fodder uh, with all these places. Uh, and uh, all these places that basically have, uh, you know, like human rights abuses and so on. One of the main criticisms, actually, is the kind of uh, questions of low attendance. Um, there's always been concerns over low attendance of crowds due to little financial interest and high cost of traveling for the, between the Asian nations. That, that was basically then leading the Australia coach of uh, one Holger Osiak. Uh, remember this guy. Canada is uh, a coach during the, the Gold Cup, our only yeah. kind of international victory. I think Hosiek is actually should be a, a, a legend in, in Canadian soccer circles, but he's not. He was not a nice guy. Let's put it that way. Uh, he actually claimed at that time that the Qatar armed forces were used to fill up stadiums for aesthetics, while Australia's uh, international Brett Holman commented that worldwide it's not recognized as a good tournament, and so on. Um, things have changed. Uh, we have now this governing body, uh, the AFC, which has 47 member countries. They're all located in the Asia, Australia continent, uh, but it excludes the transcontinental countries with territory in both Europe and Asia. For example, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Kazakhstan, Russia, and Turkey. They're all in UEFA, and there could be an argument that they could be in the Asian uh, uh, tournament themselves, too. Uh, three other states located geographically along the western fringe are Cyprus, Armenia, and Israel. You could quite possibly yeah. give them better chances at qualifying for Perhaps. international yeah. tournaments. Yeah, and you know, I, I mean, they're, they're always considered the, the minnows in the European qualification run, and, and, and maybe that would be something that people should actually consider. Uh, you also have, on the other hand, Australia, formerly of the Oceania, Foot, uh, Oceanic or Oceania Football Federation. They joined the federation in 2006. Uh, Guam, uh, which is a territory of the United States, is also a member. And you also have this very, very small country called Northern Marinia Islands, which is one of two commonwealth uh, of the United States. Uh, Hong Kong, Macau, um, although not independent countries, both are special administrative regions of China. They're also members of that. One of FIFA's uh, six continental confederations, again, the AFC was formed in 54 in Manila, the Philippines, on the sidelines of a second Asian Games, believe it or not. Um, and now uh, what you have is you have this actually flourishing kind of Champions League, which a lot of people don't pay too much attention to, but uh, the aficionados like us, we do. Uh, this is actually a very good tournament. Um, it, it was introduced in 2002. The competition is actually a continuation of the Asian Club Cup Championships, which started in 67, and it is the premier club tournament in Asia, and it's equivalent to the kind of like the Commonwealth Copa Libertadores, the UEFA Cup, the, uh, the CONCACAF, and uh, Champions League competitions. It's interesting because the winner of that tournament has faced Real Madrid both times in the yeah. last two Club World yeah. Cups, Kashima, Kashima Antlers. So and they made them struggle. Made yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, they made them struggle. Uh, there's a total of 32 clubs that compete in the round-robin group stage of the competition. Uh, you have the, the clubs from Asia's strongest leagues. They receive they receive automatic berths with the clubs like from lower ranked nations. Just they have to qualify, kind of like the old coefficient. Um, since 2009, the champions do not qualify automatically for the following year's competition. The winner of the AFC Champions League 
uh, qualifies, like you said, for the world, the FIFA Club World Cup. The most successful club in this con uh, competition has been Pohang Steelers, with a total of three titles, and the reigning champions of the competition are Kashim Kashima Antlers, who won the competition for the first time just recently. So, really quickly, just the, the beginnings of this tournament begin in '67. Uh, the competition started as, again, the Asian Club Cup Tournament, a tournament for the champions of all of the AFC nations. It had a variety of different formats. The inaugural tournament was staged as a kind of straightforward knockout format, and then the following three editions had a group stage. Israeli clubs dominated for the first four editions of the competition, partly due to the refusal of Arab teams to actually face them. In 1970, uh, the Lebanese side, uh, Homan Taman, refused to play against Hapoel Tel Aviv in the semifinal, and Hapoel went, thus went straight to the final. And in 71, Al-Shorta of Iraq refused to play Maccabi Tel Aviv on two separate occasions in the tournament, including the final itself, okay, with the Arab uh, media considering the Iraqi side as the tournament's winners, and the team holding an, an opening top bus parade. I mean, this is all the politics that gets into this. Um, you also had two editions of the, the AFC. They decided that the teams who played matches for political reasons would be disqualified if they did this. Uh, but this has really not been enforced consistently over the years, uh, although it seems to be coming into effect now. Um, the, this is one of the reasons why I think Israel was basically expelled is that they were seen very much as a problem uh, for this. And in 1980, 90, sorry, uh, they introduced again another tournament called the Asian Cup Winners' Cup, which uh, at some point we're going to do a show on the European Cup Winners' Cup. And the tournament basically was, a, it was for the cup winners of each AFC nation, and it's another one of these hotly contested tournaments. The 1995 season saw... The introduction of the also the Asian Super Cup, where the winners of the Asian Club Cup Championships plays the winner of the Cup Winners Cup, so on. Now, the present one, where they actually have the Champions League, is from about nineteen or from two thousand and two to the present. Uh, this is kind of like um, uh, uh, it's essentially a Champions League, okay? Just like Europe, uh, and we're seeing this kind of standardization. And you have these clubs from e the best eight clubs from East Asia and the best eight clubs from West Asia progressing to the group stage. Uh, the first winners under the AFC Champions League were Al Ain uh, from the United Arab Emirates, defeating BEC Tero. I think uh, I can't remember. I think they were from. If I'm correct, they are. Uh, oh, geez, that's a tough one. I forgot where they were, and I didn't put this in my notes. Anyways. 29 clubs from 14 countries participated in the tournament schedule. It goes from March to November. Uh, 28 clubs are divided into seven groups of four on a regional basis. Uh, they do this kind of separation between East Asia and West Asia to reduce travel costs for the poorer federations. Uh, the seven group winners with the defending champion uh, qualify for the quarterfinals and the jet course quarterfinal semifinals. Two-leg format with goals away, extra time, penalties. Um, the 2005 series, uh, season, sorry, saw Syrian clubs join the competition. Uh, so now we have like the number of participating countries is 15. And two years later, following the transfer into the AFC, you also have seen Australian clubs now included in this tournament. And um, I mean, owing to a lack of professionalism 
in the Asian football, many problems still exist in the tournament. A lot of these guys were still amateur. A lot of these clubs are amateur. There was a problem with violence, late submission of player registrations. And, uh, I mean, reason being is there was not really a very good infrastructure and also the prize money didn't really come into force now until just recently where you have all these kind of now, uh, you know, big uh, uh, Asian uh, companies. Um, we're still waiting for C to see the rise of China at the club level, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens. And um, the current format sees uh, eight group winners and eight runners-up to qualify for the round of 16. And, you know, I mean, since 2013, essentially the final has been held as a two-legged home and away series. And, uh, I mean, the only thing I want to say is, you know, we have kind of like, we, we, we constantly focus on Europe. And one of the reasons why I want to bring this up is because Asia is football mad. I mean, they follow football in Europe and at their, at their own club level. It's unbelievable. And what's kind of sad is that we don't see these kind of things manifest themselves in the popular media. And, and I think that that's kind of sad because if you take, for example, Iran, Iran has clubs that are like, you know, almost 100 years old now. And uh, same with even Uzbekistan has old Now, do you clubs. consider it a question of access? Like, could, could that really be part of it? Is that... Perhaps. It's money, right? It comes down to, again, like being money. And, and I think that this is this is kind of, you know, we, we always want to talk about football being the, um, the, uh, the universal game. And I think that, you know, unfortunately... Uh, I, I don't think a you know uh, money you know where the, the the attention goes to where the money is and they don't get the, that that kind of attention. Would you would you say like maybe then that it's very similar to Africa, where uh, attention maybe isn't paid as much until those players make it to Europe. Europe. Well, yeah, which is which which I think is, is is it's definitely a contributing factor. I mean, when you have players that become like superstars it makes a big difference, right? But I would say that the African Nations Cup is actually followed by Europeans far more than it is in, in, in the world than it is in Asia. I would actually liken it very much to the CONCACAF Champions League. Oh, would you would you say it's because there are more Africans that tend to play in Europe? Yeah, of colonial tendencies of clubs. Well, yeah, I, I agree for, for because of that, right? And there's so many players actually that play in European teams that can easily go back and play in African teams, right? Because they take the kind of colonial heritage. What I'd be interested in is hearing from you is, what do you think about all this human rights stuff? I mean, you got like, you know, this cup that's going to be held in Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, I mean, they expelled... Israel, and for proper reasons, in my opinion, and you also have questions of Iran, and now you know, with Syria entered in there, the Chinese, uh, you know, uh, I mean, well, these are all like, too, these right? are all incredible human rights abusers, you know, and I mean, if we, if you barred every football country that has human rights abuses, there wouldn't be a World Cup. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Although well, it would be a World Cup maybe with like four teams. Uh, and, and even then we'd have like a... a there would a, be debate. A, yeah, a, a major debate. But my, my question to you is, is, is how much should that influence, shall we say, I, I'm not, I mean, we can speak normatively and say 
people should be expelled and countries should be expelled and so on and so on and so forth. Like Yugoslavia was expelled in, uh, well, I believe it was the, the 2002. Yeah, but think of, how amazing, think of how amazing that like a Yugoslavian football team would be right now. Well, it would be tremendous. But I mean, the, the, these questions, I mean, like, it's a question of, I, I'm asking here more at a personal level. Uh, should federations and FIFA be engaging in this kind of political uh, kind of uh, identification and, you know, problems? I mean, look, look, look at, for example, South Africa. When South Africa uh, was banned globally from all sporting competitions, the Olympics, the World Cup of Rugby, the World Cup of Soccer, uh, or should it be a personal thing? Because I'm thinking from a personal thing, I have no interest in watching the World Cup in Qatar. And I was actually really disappointed that Qatar actually won this championship. Do I think it's good for the global spread of the game? Yes. Yeah. Uh, did a World Cup need to be held there? Sport can bring sport has the ability to bring people together just as much as it has the ability to tear people apart. Do I think Qatar was the right choice to hold the World Cup? No. no. I think we've both agreed that Australia was in that round, and Australia would have been a much better choice. They had a growing, with a very strong league infrastructure and a team that has qualified for the World Cup regularly. I, I, I agree. I think, I think you know, that's a really good point that you make. I think Australia should have been awarded that, that but, World Cup. But, if, but, but we can, if it's if, ifs and buts, right? Like yeah. England probably should have held the most recent World Cup. I, I think agree. we both agreed on that. With Russia, well, again, Russia, with all its violations. But, you know, like we, this raises a really interesting discussion, and maybe our listeners can kind of chime in on this. I mean, in the 1978 World Cup, they you know, Argentina was basically given a World Cup when they had one of the most brutal dictatorships. And there has been scholarly work done that has basically said that that World Cup actually was very important in creating a schism within the uh, uh, ruling block of the dictatorship between uh, between the, uh, um, the the ruling block between um, the, the hardliners and the softliners within within the dictatorship, and you know people have said that these Olympics and and international games throw a spotlight on these countries. Therefore, exposing a lot of these contradictions, exposing the, the, the terrible practices that, that they give. So I think, like, you're right. I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think the, the issue there comes down to what the actual political climate is. Uh, and right now, in, the, in this current political climate, while there will be a light shown on these issues, and there has been, um, is it really going to have that same type of effect that it did in Argentina at the time? Was there a willingness? I don't know. We're in a we're in a very precarious political climate as it is, right? Shining, you can shine a light on just about anybody. Issues, just, and guess well, what? Nobody nobody really cares. This is my last question to you for this little short pod. And uh, seriously, do you think? By us focusing uh, on the political climate within the Asian nations just now in this pod, are we being fair to the Asian Football Confederation? Yes, I think we are. But I think also no, because we don't tend to also put this type of focuses on the leagues that we examine week in, week out. Although we, we know, we talk about Juve a lot and how, yeah. like, we talk about 
you know, the racism in Italy, like, well, maybe we don't do enough to focus on the issues that happen in these other leagues because those issues are there. Right. Um, especially internationally. Look at the Euro- in the Europa League most recently. Uh, Mkhitaryan plays for Arsenal. Couldn't. Yeah. Well, he's Armenian, so there were there was a game against Charabag that he couldn't go because he's Armenian. And he was uh, fearful for his life. Yeah. You know. So I mean, like, yeah, these things happen right now. So, yeah, I mean. Um, it's, and there's this this interesting story of this footballer who's in jail right now in Thailand. Uh, 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 he's been he's from Benin, uh, uh, Benin I believe, and uh, you know for political reasons. I mean, it, it raises some important issues. It also shows that the game is not bigger than life. I think you know, and I think that you know, I will make this last comment. I think. We really have been benign in our kind of uh, approach to this. We could have basically spent a lot more. We just wanted to kind of just draw a spotlight on Asian football, especially with this cup. Because I actually thought that the competition, if you followed the competition, this championship, it was fantastic. It, uh, the football was great. It was exciting. It was compelling. But I think that uh, as we go back to this discussion about the politics and so on, I mean, I think uh, it's important to kind of, uh, make this point that, you know, sport and politics, this idea that they're separate compartments, this is, this is, this is rubbish. And uh, unfortunately, we couldn't devote the time, but we kind of wanted to just kind of give you a taste. And maybe we can hear back from some of our listeners. My last question for you. Sure. Favorite Asian footballer? Oh, man, that's a tough one because I got about three or four. Um, well, give all of them then. Uh, These might be names Delhi. that our listeners haven't heard. Delhi, the, the, the great number 10 for uh, Iran, who scored that beautiful header against the United States in the 1998 um, uh, World Cup that was held uh, uh, in France. I'll never forget that match. I was at the Park Lane, Park Lane Hotel. In, uh, in Sudbury, Ontario, and I watched the match, and Iran, and at that time, tensions between Iran and the United States were just at a high point, and they played this match, and Delhi scored this beautiful header. He played for Bayern Munich at the time, and I loved him, and uh, I went crazy during that game. I was just cheering my heart out for Iran, and I almost got my head kicked in, <laughs> okay? Uh, but uh, I have no regrets, and uh, yeah. And I thought he was fantastic. Uh, there was also um, uh, Nakamura, uh, uh, is, has been a phenomenal player. Nakata, who came in, uh, played for Roma. And uh, yeah, uh, Nakamura was like the first, right? He actually played at Genoa. And now, like, I mean, we're starting to see, I mean, uh, the great defender Park at uh, Manchester United. I mean, this guy. He was a midfielder. Like, but, yeah, he was a midfielder. Yeah. He, played, he played like a kind of like a wing back too for a while, didn't he? No, yeah. no, no, no. He always was like just a boss, a box midfield. But he was phenomenal, and like he was instrumental in in, in a lot of that kind of uh, success that uh, that United. Uh, and son, yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. You know, and uh, now there's son at over at uh, at um, Tottenham Hotspur, and uh, I mean, like, wow. I mean, there, you know, I mean, I, I'm surprised we don't see more. That's 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 the thing. And then, what do you think of the inverse? Because you see a lot of players now going to like the J League and to to leagues that's across, a, across the Middle East. Really good question. Um, people will tell you that the Chinese league is not good at all, but they seem to be managing to take 
some of the great players over there. They took same with Japan. Yeah, see, like, well, Japan. In yes, yeah. in Japan. Right? Japan has been at the kind of lead this. They've been doing this since the nineties. They were taking in a lot of like players that were basically at the, at the end, and now we I see tons of them, tons of them going to the United Arab Emirates, uh, to uh, Qatar. Uh, uh, oh, Sebastian Jovinko. Jovinko. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Iniesta. Uh, not Iniesta. With the Japan job. Chavi went to Tal Qatar. Okay. Sorry, guys. We're a little bit distracted. I'll tell you why. In the background, we're watching Manchester United just tear oh, apart Man Chelsea. City. Sorry. Manchester City just tear apart Chelsea. And the two of us are just watching this with our mouths gaping open. So uh, we're waiting to do the review show. Anyways. So what we'll do then is we'll we'll leave you with this. If yeah. you have any extra thoughts, please please share them in the group. Uh, email us, tweet at us, just get in contact with us. Yes, um, and, and let us know what you thought and what maybe we should expand on uh, next time when we do another discussion of uh, football in Asia. Thanks for listening.